Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Turn to Proverbs 4. There should be a Bible in your pew in front of you, and Proverbs 4 is found on page 530 in the pew Bibles. If you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we're right in the middle of our summer sermon series on the book of Proverbs, and me and Mark have kind of been going back and forth, and we've said that our goal this summer is just to get you to read the Proverbs. And when you start doing that, it gets interesting because the Proverbs are really unique, They're not written in kind of the narrative form that we're used to. They're written in the wisdom literature. And so the sayings are sharp. They're quick. It it takes time to meditate on them and think about what Solomon's actually trying to tell us. And I introduced last week that if the wisdom literature of the Bible is like a medicine cabinet, the Proverbs are like the smelling salts that alert us back to life. And so we're taking this summer to show how the Proverbs give us life in the four relationships that we most need. God, self, others, and creation. So we're not able in our short amount of time to walk through every verse, walk through every chapter like we usually do, but we thought it'd be good to take this summer and show how the Proverbs speak to these four areas. So last week we looked up to our relationship with God, and this week we'll, we'll take our turn in and look at what the Proverbs say about the relationship with self. So Proverbs 4 Starting in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the word for your word because of what we just sang, Lord. Who who can understand the human heart but you? And Lord, we ask you now that you would guide us by your spirit through your word to search our hearts. Lord, may the conflicted in here, may the convicted in their heart, the the condemning in their heart, may they find great comfort in you. But those that find themselves on the comfortable side, may this word from your spirit bring them to your conviction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was in 1956 when a young man from Arkansas 
stepped onto the stage for the first time and with four words changed the face of country music forever. He took out his guitar, he tapped on the microphone, and he said, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And I can't say it like him. I don't have that deep a voice. I don't know if anyone can say it like Johnny did. But we knew something was changing about the face of music in America. And his, his first mega hit is probably still his most famous today, I Walk the Line. Which if you listen to that first verse and I Walk the Line, the chorus too, it sounds an awful lot like what we just read in Proverbs 4, doesn't it? I'll read it for you. I'm not going to sing it. You can sing it in your heart if you want to. Here's what the first verse in the chorus says. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. And we love that song because it is so pure, the words in that song. But the problem, however, was that Johnny's life wasn't very pure. In the coming years, if you know the story of Johnny Cash, he didn't come even close to walking the line. That song written for his first wife, promising his commitment to her as his fame was growing more and more. Over the next decade, he would, he would fall into so many temptations of that fame. You see, Johnny Cash wanted to keep a close, heart on his, on, close watch on his heart, but his heart often had other plans. And that contradiction, that contradiction between what Johnny Cash said and what Johnny Cash did wasn't just a contradiction for Cash, but if we're honest, it's also a contradiction for us. That difference between what we say and what we often do is the problem of the human heart. So the question of Johnny Cash's life should be your question this morning. What are you going to do with your heart? What are we to do with these hearts that are so contradictory? Proverbs 4 has a really good answer for us this morning. So three points about the heart from Proverbs 4. Real simple. What, why, and how. What is the human heart? Why is the human heart so important? And how do you guard your heart? Let's start with what is the heart. Like we said last week, this section of Proverbs 4 starts with another speech from a father to a son. And it starts the exact same way. He again tells his son, keep my words. But notice where he tells his son to keep them. Verse 21, keep them within your heart. And in verse 23, we have one of the most important verses in all the Bible on, on the human self. He doubles down. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Some translations say, keep your heart above all else. So if we are to understand the human heart as something that we need to treat above all else, we have to ask the question, what is the heart? What is the human heart? Well, the Bible would say the human heart is the core of who you are. It's the word the Bible uses more than any other in over 1,000 times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to describe the inner life of mankind. Proverbs 27, 19 says it like this, and hopefully this makes sense of it. As water reflects the face, the heart reflects the person. 
So as water reflects what you look like on the outside, your heart reflects what you look like on the inside. But here's the problem. We don't hear the word heart like that in our modern day. When we hear the word heart, we automatically think, oh, that's our emotions. That's the place of our feelings. That's the place of our passions. But that's not how the Bible talks about the heart. Yes, of course, the Bible says your emotions come from your heart. But the Bible also says that everything else comes from your heart. All of life flows from your heart. So when you read the Proverbs, you get some weird language like the heart thinks and reasons. The heart makes decisions and choices. The heart has attitudes and feelings. And what is this trying to tell us? The heart is not just a part of who you are. It's at the center of who you are. It's the engine, and without it, nothing else goes. You see the image that Solomon uses for it there. He wants you to think of your heart like a water source, a spring that gives life to everything else. And when it comes to water, you all know this, the source is what really matters. And that truth, the importance of a water source, has become an awful reality in the last decade to the citizens of Flint, Michigan. I don't know if you followed this story, what's going on in Flint, Michigan, over the last 10 years, but it's been one of the worst human health crises in recent history. Here's what happened. In May 2014, people in Flint, Michigan, started complaining about the water that was coming into their house. Their water looked a little bit different. It smelled a little bit funny, and it tasted weird. So they started complaining more and more to the city and to the government. What's going on with our water? And so for 18 months, the city of Flint, Michigan, ran tests, They sent out advisories. They looked at different filters. They reworked whole systems. Nothing seemed to be working until they went to the source. Trying to save money way back in 2014, the city had switched their water source to the Flint River. And what they didn't know was that the Flint River had toxic water in it, and that toxic water started corroding pipes, and that corroding pipe started leaking lead into the people's water. You see, what was going on in the water in Flint, Michigan? It all came back to the source. And Solomon says, that is the case with you too. The heart is the source of who you are. It's the source of all your life. And with that, we start to understand why life is full of contradictions, don't we? Have you ever wondered why you have these contradictions in your life? Have you ever questioned, why is there this gap between what I know and what I do? How you can know the right thing to do in life, but still find yourself doing the wrong thing? It makes sense of our weeks, doesn't it? Of why we can come to Sunday worship being filled up with the worship of God, and then by Monday afternoon, dragging, struggling, falling back into failures. This is because Christianity speaks to the heart, which means you are not primarily what you think. You are not primarily what you feel. You're not primarily what you do. You are what you love. This is what the Bible means by your heart. Your heart at its core is your loves. And if we don't realize that, Christianity starts becoming really, really frustrating. We end up spending our lives like the city of Flint, Michigan, running around trying to fix the issues, running around trying to make the problems better, 
when the whole time we should have been looking at the source. And this is why C.S. Lewis compared the Christian life to training a horse. He said the Christian life is not like teaching a horse to jump higher and higher. It's like teaching a horse to fly. And what he meant by that was God is not after a better you this morning. He's after a new you. He's after your heart. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus has come not to make us better, but to make us brand new. And with our newness, we will then become better. And all this starts with the heart, the source. So we've seen what the heart is. Now let's look at why the heart is so important. Look back at verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flows the springs of life. If your heart is what you love, your life will follow your loves. That's what Solomon's saying. That is his logic in Proverbs 4. If your heart is what you love, then your life follows your loves. This is why Augustine compared our loves like to the weight of gravity. He said that his loves were the weight of his life. Wherever his loves were, his life was carried that direction. Have you ever wondered why sitting around a campfire, flames go up, they don't go down? Or if I were instead to drop this cup of water, it would go down, not go up? That's because objects follow their weight, according to gravity. And Solomon is saying, your weight is your love, and so wherever your loves are, your life will follow. Your life follows the weight of your love, and this is why Solomon is so focused on the heart. Because reordered loves in here leads to reordered life out there. From the heart flows the springs of life. And nothing has taught me this more than parenting. A little over five years ago, this was right before we had our daughter Lydia, I attended a parenting seminar, which was a huge mistake. It's a really bad mistake to attend a parenting seminar before you have kids because all they talk about is all the mistakes you're going to make, which really freaks you out. So there's a family counselor there that had been working with families for over 40 years, and Lo and behold, she spent the first 30 minutes talking about all the mistakes parents make, all the mistakes she's seen children talk about in her counseling sessions. She talked about mistakes parents make when they're little, the, parents, uh, the mistakes parents make when they're older. She talked about how kids need freedom. She talked about how kids need discipline, how kids need to know you're in charge, but you also got to give them responsibility. And at this point, my head was spinning, just going through all the ways that I know I'm going to mess this up. And at one point, I just put my pen down and started crying out, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on this child. Have mercy on every parent that ever existed. And so after she got done talking about all these mistakes of parents, and she put us out on a break, go get some coffee, go to the bathroom, I had to know. So I walked up to her, and I said, okay, what happens when you make those mistakes? (laughs) You talked about all the mistakes parents make. You didn't talk about what happens when you make those mistakes, when you fail. And she said, well, you save up extra money for counseling. (laughs) Great, super helpful. And she laughed, and she was joking, kind of. But I I will never forget what she said next. She did say, what a child needs most from their parents is their repentance. 
She said what a child needs most is not another outward skill. What a child needs most is see their parents inwardly change from their heart. You see, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repenting is reordering of your loves. It's saying my heart is going down a wrong road, and I need to turn my heart around back to the road of God. And here's what's incredible that I found true. When a parent repents to a child, it doesn't just change the parent's heart, it starts to change the child's heart. And you've probably experienced this. When someone deeply wrongs you in your life, and they come to you with heartfelt repentance, they are genuinely sorry for what they have done. They want to change and make things right. Something happens to you. It gives you some form of life. It restores your soul in a way. Why is that? Solomon tells us, from the heart flow the springs of life. And this is exactly why Jesus in the Gospel of John picked up on this language. He picked up on this language of the springs of life, and he said, this is actually what I came to do. You heard the passage this morning from the New Testament reading in John 4, that beautiful story of Jesus with the woman at the well in Samaria. And Harry read it for us, John 4, 13. He tells her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And this is the Proverbs 4 he draws on. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you notice in that conversation in John 4, Jesus does not tell her all the things she needs to know. And he does not tell her, this is how you should be behaving. Instead, he talks about her thirst. He's talking to her in the language of love, the language of the heart. He knows why she's there. He knows why this woman is there by herself in the hottest part of the day. He knows her shame. He knows because of what she's done, she's been ostracized by her whole community. And he knows deep down she needs much more than water from that well. Because remember, he asked her, hey, go call your husband. And remember what she says? I don't have a husband. And he tells you, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. You see, Jesus saw her all the way through. He saw all the way down to the darkest recesses of her heart, to the places of shame that she would not even name. And Jesus names them. And he names them in his love. And this is why Jesus is so beautiful. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus' specialty was the brokenhearted. And that was because there was always more mercy in his heart than sin in ours. There was always more love in his heart than shame in ours. And we get the full picture of that heart on the cross. Because it's on the cross where Jesus fully, fully enters into the heart of our sin and suffering. And do you remember what Jesus says on the cross? The man who said, I am living water, in his anguish, he cries out, I thirst. And he was not given water to quench his thirst. He was given vinegar 
which means that Jesus died thirsty so that you would never have to thirst again. That's what Jesus is saying here to the woman at the well. This is our Savior whose very heart took on our death so our hearts now can be springs of life. So what do you do with a love like that? What do you do with a love that comes after your heart? You keep it. You guard it with everything in you because you don't want anything to take it away. So we've seen what the heart is. We've seen why it's so important. Now let's finish with the application of the proverb for how to keep your heart. Proverbs 4.23 literally reads, keep your heart with all keeping. Keep on keeping your heart. In the days of the Bible, they didn't have bold or underline or exclamation points. So they often repeated things to drive home emphasis. And the emphasis of Proverbs 4 is keep your heart. Guard it above all else. If I were to ask you this morning before you came to church, what is the supreme task of your life? I don't think we would automatically say keeping our heart. That's not what I would say until I read through Proverbs 4 this week. But that's what Solomon tells us. Solomon tells us that the keeping of our heart is the supreme task of the Christian life. So what does this mean to keep your heart? That word keep is the same concept that God gave to Adam in Genesis 2. God came to Adam in Genesis 2 and he tells him to work and to keep the garden. And that was because the garden wasn't just a garden. The garden was a sanctuary of the Lord. The garden was the place where God dwelt with man, where he came to meet with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was a place meant for his glory and for them to flourish in all of life. And he told them to keep it, to protect it. We talk a lot about Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden when it comes to the snake and the temptations and what Adam and Eve did after their temptations. Well, we don't pause and ask the question, why was the snake there in the first place? What was Adam doing? He's supposed to guard this, this garden with everything he had and he let this agent of death come in. You see, a place that's special must be guarded so then life could flow forth. And that's exactly how the New Testament describes the human heart. For the Christian, the human heart is a sanctuary where God has come to dwell by His Spirit. God lives inside of the Christian heart through His Spirit. And that means your heart is a sanctuary meant to be kept for His worship and for the life of everyone else. So the application of Proverbs 4, your application this week is we got to do heart work. But heart work is the most complicated thing on the earth. That's why we work on everything else but our own hearts. Nothing's more needed, but nothing is more difficult. So I do just want to give you three questions to ask of your heart this week. These come from the text, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on them because we don't, we don't really have the time for it. But these three questions will help you start to understand and guard your heart. And in fact, when, when we come to August, when Robert comes and, and comes back to the Sermon on the Mount, these three are what comes up in the Sermon on the Mount more than any other. So how, how do we guard our heart? 
He gives you three tests here. And these things both reveal your heart and they, they work to shape your heart in certain ways. So the first test, first question for you this week, what are you saying? What words are coming out of your mouth? Look at Proverbs 4.24. Put away your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. How do you guard your heart? Well, look at your mouth. Our words are not just our words. They reveal what's going on inside our hearts. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, out of the abundance of your mouth, the heart speaks. Your mouth speaks the very things going on in your heart. It can be used for life to build up. It can be used for death to, turn, to tear down. But the words in your mouth are not just words. They're deeply connected to your heart. So what are you saying? Second question, second application from Proverbs 4. Where are you swerving I'll skip verse 25 and come back to it for a reason. Look at verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. How do you guard your heart? Well, look at your feet. Where are they going? Remember, your heart is not just your emotions. Your heart is the control center of your life. And so we can say we love something, but our habits show it. That's why if you want to see what someone loves, don't ask them. Look at what they spend their money on. Look at what they spend their time doing. That's because these habits of ours reveal our hearts in so many ways. And they end up shaping us in those ways too. Okay, that's the second one. So look at your mouth, look at your feet. Third and final question from the text. What are you seeing? What are your eyes looking at? Look back at verse 25, the one we skipped over. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. How do you guard your heart? Well, where are you looking? Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of life. But if the eye is sick, your whole body will be full of death. Where your eyes look is where your life goes oftentimes. We're teaching Lydia right now to ride her bike. And the number one thing we keep saying to her is, look up. Hey, look ahead. Look forward. Because when she starts going and she starts getting tight or tense, her eyes look down at her feet or look to the side, and where her eyes go is where her bike goes, which leads to a lot of Band-Aids, which leads to a lot of popsicles which leads to a lot of, you can do this. We're telling her to look forward because where she looks on that bike is where the bike goes. And the same is true of your life. The direction of your life will follow your eyes because your eyes show your heart. What we look at matters so much. And I saved that one for last on purpose. Because why do we guard our hearts It's a means to an end. We don't just guard our hearts to guard our hearts. We guard our hearts for Jesus. The end goal is not just to look at your heart. The end goal is to look at your Savior and to let your heart go there. And this is actually the truth that Johnny Cash discovered that ended up changing his life over the long run. Just a decade after singing I Walked the Line, he had pretty much destroyed his life. 
He was addicted to drugs. A lot of his tours had been canceled. He was in and out of jail. And he found himself so angry and so depressed to the point where he just didn't want to live anymore. And so while he was lying there, ready to die, he thought about the Apostle Paul. And specifically, he thought about the Apostle Paul and what he said in Romans 7. Here's the verse. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in that dark moment, Johnny Cash said, the Apostle Paul spoke for me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver me from this body of death. Not by looking at my own heart, but casting my eyes upon Jesus. You see, he stopped looking at his life and he started looking at Jesus. And he realized that although he had left the line a long time ago, God had never left him. And this became more evident throughout the rest of his life. All his struggles didn't necessarily go away. He still struggled. But his focus was completely different. And in the last song that he ever recorded, he's no longer singing about walking the line. He's singing about looking at his Savior. The song's entitled 1 Corinthians 15, 55. And here is that beautiful first verse. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? He again thinks of Proverbs. My hope springs eternal just over the rise because it's there I see my Redeemer beckoning me. Johnny Cash finally found out what to do with his heart. He gave it to Jesus. And I hope you do too. Let me pray. Father, thank you for speaking a, a better word than our hearts. And, I, and I, I pray by your spirit you'd help us see that your promises are true. That there is mer- more mercy in you than sin in us. And I pray that that would lead us to this table to taste and see that you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.